In Scotland, when friends get together, they blether. When these three friends happen to be Scottish Blue Badge tourist guides, you can be sure that the country that they're so passionate about will be right at the heart of their discussions. Be it contemporary or historical, culinary or cultural, reminiscence or anecdote, from accommodation to zoos, the chat will range right across the entire alphabet of topics and issues that are live and happening in Scotland right now. We hope that you'll join us. There's nothing to beat a recht git blether. Welcome to episode 13 of Scottish Blethers with... Helen and Liz and Susan. In this episode, we are going to be talking all things Scottish as we run up to St Andrew's Day on the 30th of November, the day of our patron saint. So I think we'll start off with Helen. Well, today I'm going to talk to you about St Andrew, the patron saint. And he's been celebrated in Scotland for well over a thousand years, with feasts being held in his honour as far back as 1000 AD, always on the 30th of November, which was suggested the date that he was actually crucified. So who was St Andrew? He was a fisherman, along with his brother, Peter and James and John, and he was one of the 12 apostles, Jesus' 12 apostles. We don't know a great deal about his early life, but we do know that he travelled great distances in order to spread the word. And this could be his link with Scotland. But what we remember about St Andrew is the way he met his terrible death. He was crucified in 60 AD by the order of the Roman governor at Patras in Greece on an X-shaped cross which became his symbol. But Christian somehow managed to preserve his body and it was after his death that sometime in the 4th century that several of his relics were brought to Fife by, by Rule, a native of Patras. St Regulus or Rule was determined to preserve the relics and in a dream he was told to take the saint's arm, kneecap, three fingers and a tooth to the ends of the earth. And that was what Scotland was at that time. There's another legend also that suggests that he actually came to Scotland and built a church in Fife, in a town which is now called St Andrews. But more likely than either of these legends, the relics were brought north by a missionary to the Bishop of Hexham around the year 732. And one of the evidences for that is that there was a church in St Andrews, which was then called Kilrymont, in 747. But his popularity and the town grew largely due to St Margaret, who was Queen of Scotland, and the town became one of the largest ecclesiastical centres in Scotland. The supposed anniversary of the martyrdom is the 30th of November, and that is why we honour St Andrew's Day on the 30th of November. But he was not just the patron saint of Scotland, he was the patron saint of Greece, Russia, Italy's Amalfi and Barbados. He's also the patron saint of, now this is what I find quite fascinating, singers, spinsters, maidens, fishmongers, fishermen, women wanting to be mothers, gout and sore throats, Liz. St Andrew is also <laughs> the patron saint of the Order of the Thistle, one of the highest ranks of chivalry in the world, second only to the Order of the Garter. But he was not mentioned formally in Scotland until the declaration of 
our broth, our Declaration of Independence, where he is referred to as Gentle St Andrew and the Scottish people's patron forever. And he is still patron saint of Scotland today. Right, so that's St Andrew. Now, thoughts of that? Perhaps before we discuss it, Helen, perhaps it would be good to continue on to mine because I'm really following on from you in the flag of Scotland. And before I do, I should just explain to people Helen's comment there. I choked on a bit of coconut and I've been coughing ever since. And I'm actually sitting here at 11 o'clock in the morning with a little whiskey and honey by my side. So please excuse me for whatever the results of that are, whether it's coughing or blethering at greater extent. Anyway, I'm moving on to the flag of Scotland because it follows on from our patron saint, St Andrew. The Scots believe that this is the oldest flag in Europe and the Commonwealth. Well, that may be true, or it may be down to part of the Scottish identity that you'll hear more about in a moment or two. Here's Teas was like us. You know, the Scots can be pretty full of themselves. But whether or not it's the oldest, we do know that its use was first recorded in 1507. It was used as the flag on the, the ship, the Great Michael, one of the greatest warships ever built by one of our greatest kings, James IV. It was a great ship, but it was so large that it could never actually sail properly. Anyway, that's another story. He flew this flag on it, and we now know it as the saltire. So what is a saltire? Well, it's a heraldic term, and it's used for an X-shaped cross with diagonal bars of equal length. So in the case of the Scottish saltire, the cross is white and the background is blue. And we also know it as the St Andrew's Cross because of the story that told that Helen told you there about St Andrew being crucified in Greece by the Romans on a diagonal cross. But how did we come to incorporate that into our flag? Well, there's a legend that sits behind that. And the legend is that in 832 AD, when Scotland wasn't in the form that we know it today, but was composed of warring tribes in different regions of Scotland, there were cultures called the Picts and the Scots, and they united under a king called King Angus MacFergus. Now, the Scots like fighting, and there's nothing like fighting more than the English. And at that time, there was no border established between Scotland and England. So the area that we now know as Lothian was actually part of England. It was Northumbria. And King Angus led an army of Scots and Picts down to try and claim the land round about that region. And they weren't very happy about it in Northumbria. So the Saxons and the Angles got together to fight the troops of King Angus. And so there was a battle at what is now known as Athelstane, particularly where there was a ford across the river called Athelstane Ford, as it's known today. Now, unfortunately, the Angles and the Saxons outnumbered Angus's forces, and so they were surrounded and they were facing a certain defeat. And it's said that King Angus fell to his knees in prayer to lead his army from deliverance. And with that, in the sky up above, a cloud formation which was a white cross on a clear blue sky. They took that this was a sign from St Andrew and he vowed that if they were successful in battle, then he would become the patron saint and they would use this as the symbol of their flag. Well, they fought on with renewed vigour, they won and we got the national flag. And today in Athel Stainford, you can find the National Flag Heritage Centre if you want to go and check it out. You'll see our flag flown all over Scotland. 
It is the, the flag that individuals are supposed to use, corporations can use. And nowadays, all the flags are identical. They have the same colour of blue. But it wasn't always so, because you can imagine that the dye that was used in the flag was wood. And depending on where it was grown, the soil conditions, the climate, it could be any shade of blue, from sky blue to navy. And so in 2003, a committee of the Scottish Parliament decided that forevermore it would be Pantone 300. And that's the colour of blue that you find in the flag today. But if you're very sharp-eyed, you might notice that in the Union Jack, where the saltire of Scotland is incorporated with the other flags of the Union, it's a slightly different colour. It's darker. It's Pantone 280. And that's because the Union Jack, which was created with the Union of Crowns in 1606, has been an area of dispute, as you can imagine, since it was first created. The official design that we see today was designed in 1801 with the incorporation of St Patrick's Cross. But right from the beginning, there's been argument as to who should have their flag uppermost. The Scots did not want to be beneath the English. And even today, where we have the official design, there's still an unofficial design which flag makers still produce. And it's called the Scottish variant. And there you have the saltire uppermost. And if you think that's a technicality, it matters to the Scots. I love that. It takes me back to my girl guiding days where we had to learn how to put up the flag, the Union flag. And I always remember, I think the broad part of the St Andrew's Cross had to be at the top. So that would be the variant. Very good. I'll be looking for a variant. (laughs) But thank heavens for St Andrew because, you know, he helped us to um, debate with the Pope about the Scottish identity way back in the end of the 1200s when... Uh, King Edward of England was trying to say that Scotland was part of England. And the Scots were like, I don't think so. Our patron saint predates yours. (laughs) That's very Scottish. That That is so Scottish. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, straight into identity. (laughs) Just just before we do, in case any of our listeners are wondering, because it is a popular question, people see the lion rampant, the red lion flying on the yellow background, and they say, well, is that not the Scottish flag? That's actually the flag of the monarch. And technically, you're not allowed to fly that flag. Now, King George V did give dispensation for people to wave the flags at one of his anniversaries. So technically, people can fly the flag at football matches or you know, out in the street or whatever. But technically, you're not supposed to fly it from, from a flagstaff unless you have permission from the monarch. Susan, identity. Lee, we've started on already. Tell us all about the Scottish identity. Well, Scottish identity, meet a Scot anywhere in the world, whether it be in Scotland or in any other country. Can I just interrupt you right there, Susan? I'm sorry, but you have just given my definition of Scottish. (laughs) The way you pronounce world. (laughs) Right, doesn't matter where a Scot goes, anywhere, they will still continue to say world. Apart from posh Scots, who say world. World. I just can't do that. I've tried so hard to say world. Uh, And I just can't. It's like book. You know, I talk about reading a book and people go, what are you talking about? It's like, it's a book. (laughs) And then they go, you mean a book? And I try to do book. And And I just can't do it. And you always have a look. A look. (laughs) Yes. Yes. 
Uh-huh. So there you go. Another part of Scottish identity is how we our language pronounce words. And yes, you'll, you'll have seen our Scottish word of the episode. And just we have this huge, strong sense of national identity. People are so proud of being Scottish. And obviously, everybody else wants to be Scots as well. And you hear many people looking for their link with Scotland, which is perfectly understandable because the Scots have given a huge amount to the world all amongst inventions and amongst the administrators and the Scots just got everywhere you know be it North America be it Southeast Asia be it India Africa some of it not necessarily covered in glory it has to be said in the olden days but we do get everywhere our culture our tradition our language is what makes us Scottish but I think you'll find that Scots are open, friendly, always willing to help a visitor, and we never take ourselves too seriously. Because the minute you take yourself too seriously, there'll be somebody <laughs> right next to you to bring you right back down to earth. This is why I think so many actors and actresses and famous people get along fine in Scotland, because they really don't get much hassle. <laughs> Obviously, our diet, there have been many jokes about the Scottish diet over the years whether it be deep fried Mars bar or haggis or whatever else, I'd like to say that one has changed. We have some of the best fresh food in the whole world. There's even a play called Anything That Gives Off Light, which is a play about Scottish identity. And it's about how outsiders have not necessarily caught up with the ways in which stereotypes about parochial Scots with a Culloden type chip on our shoulder have been superseded in the years since devolution and even the Scottish referendum. But there's some great quotes out there about the Scots. One from Frankie Boyle, who is a comedian, and he's, you have to look him up if you've not heard of him. He says, two negatives make a positive, but only in Scotland do two positives make a negative. With that wonderful phrase, I write. <laughs> that is a, such a good quote, that one. The other, the other one it? that... I quite like, and maybe somebody that people will recognise the name of, is Nicola Benedetti. She's, she's a yes. superb violinist. And she says, in such a competitive world that she lives in, I believe it's my Scottish roots that have enabled me to keep a sincere and realistic approach to everything I do. And that kind of grounded. It's a lovely quote, that. I think also one of our the greatest praise that we tend to give anybody is to say, even no matter how superb they've been, we say, aye, it was no bad. It wasn't bad. <laughs> if something isn't bad, it yeah. must be good. So obviously there's other people that have been talking about the Scots, even Sir Winston Churchill, you know, and not to be too full of myself, but he says, of all the small nations on this earth, perhaps only the ancient Greeks surpassed the Scots in their contribution to mankind. So Liz... What makes Scottish identity for you and which are the most important bits for you? Oh, right. Well, I think, first of all, you've got to start off with the stereotypes. You know, there are so many stereotypes of the Scots and perhaps foremost amongst the stereotypes is that we're mean. You know, we're tight-fisted. We don't put our hands... We've got long arms and short pockets. Is that what they say? I don't know. There's a saying round about that anyway. But we are certainly careful about spending our money. We look for value. And I always say that the word that sets a Scots person's heart on fire is the word free. <laughs> so when you're out with a, a, a group, you know, and you come to a set of public conveniences, toilets, restrooms, and you say, 
this is a free piece. Oh my goodness, are they happy? They, they pick up the Scots culture while they're here. So, yeah, looking for value for money. I mean, people think of Scots, you know, the, the sort of the the ginger wearing kilts, always with a bottle of some kind in their hand. And I'm not setting a good example here today with my whiskey by the side of me. It's not just a stereotype. But, yeah, lots of stereotypes. What other stereotypes, Helen? I think it's things like the, the shortbread tin, all the things that I think we as guides when we're taking people around Scotland, we're trying to make that stereotype go back into the background and bring forward the the great innovative skills of the Scots, the scenery, the cheeriness, the engineering skills, all of that. But, you know, I think that we have to remember that we're quite modern. Modern bands, pop music have all come out of Scotland. And Absolutely. For a country that you know, has the reputation of being doer, yeah. being serious, we have more than our natural representation in the creative and artistic industries. You know, we, we are a nation who is very much couched in superstition and myth and legend and oral traditions. And that comes through today in our creativity. Absolutely. And what is nice about the creativity is that some of the stereotypal things, the, the tweed and the things like Harris tweed, which we always think of being in the, the jackets and the plus fours going across the moors, there are some most beautiful fashion items done in Harris tweed now. And it's really had a second rebirth. And I think that, you know, you were saying, Susan, about how we are fierce, fiercely patriotic we are a very, very mm-hmm. proud, passionate nation. But certainly Scots identify more with being Scottish than being British. Very much so. I think probably the fact that we did have the Union of the Crowns and then the Union of the Parliaments, it's surprising that after three, four hundred years that all three of these nations, the Welsh, the Irish and the Scots, still have a huge identity. And that goes back to, you mentioned earlier, the fighting spirit, Liz. Yeah. And certainly in the 2001 census, the Joseph Rowntree Foundation found that being born in Scotland makes people feel Scottish, which is kind of what you would expect. But 94% of the Scotland-born choose Scottish as their national identity alone. So, and 83% of Scottish residents feel Scottish. I think, you know, using as an example, when you go on holiday or you're travelling somewhere, there's nothing I love more than making a connection. Somebody lying on the next sunbed to you that's cousin lived two doors along from your granny. (laughs) But but Scotland is so small that that's what happens. You know, we have this close, intimate contact. You'll always, and my husband is the worst for that. He was everybody in Scotland. You'll always make a connection. Yeah, I think. Well, you know, it's funny because obviously I'm not in the country right now. I'm abroad. And I was in the supermarket yesterday and I was just going to get something off the shelf. And there was somebody standing quite close. And I went, oh, excuse me. And I heard her reply and I thought, that's a Scottish accent. Shall I strike up a conversation? And it was like, no, 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 no. You don't need to do that everywhere you go. But you, you do. do. You do. That's part Absolutely. of the fun of You Absolutely. do. You, you're here. I was in South Africa and I was on a safari and this chap climbed in. He was the local, the vet for the safari park. And I said, oh, that's a Scottish accent you've got. Where do you come from? He came from Fife, literally, as you say about your granny, Liz, about two or three doors along the road. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's very much a Scottish thing, yeah. Yeah. And see how, Liz, you were talking now, about there's the another stereotypes. One. There's another one, Susan. See how. See how. See how. <laughs> and see how. 
<laughs> oh, here we go. Yeah, no, they. Yeah, no, there you go. There's another <laughs> Scottish one too. Yeah, no. Oh, dear. The uh, Scottish identity in Kelvin Grove Art Gallery and Museum in Glasgow. There is a fabulous painting which pulls all the stereotypes about the Scots together in one painting, from. The wee skinny guy sat on his sofa in his tartan shorts with his white peely wally legs. Now, peely wally, we've had that word before. And it's all it's his hairy legs sat with a can of wait, tennis wait, wait, in his wait, hand. Wait, 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 go back to the peely wally because it's, peely obviously, wally. it's obviously the day before the sun shone in Scotland because after that, the legs will be red raw. <laughs> You're right, yes. Not just the legs, unfortunately. So you've got that. You've got the little TV. You've got your Cowan's toffee. You've got your pan loaf of bread, you know, remember from the other episode. You've got your tartan wallpaper. You've got a stuffed stag head on the wall. Uh, You've got that lovely old white enamel bread bin with bread written on it. Yes. Or there was the McEwan's ashtray. I don't know if you remember those from kind of the 70s and 80s, the tartan Uh ones and had McEwan's along the side of it. It's it's the Sunday Post not in that painting as well. Is it not (laughs) with that on the table? Uh And I think the Scotsman's in it as well. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it's such a great painting. So if you're looking to understand Scottish identity, get yourself along to Kelvin Grove and we'll maybe see if we can find a photo of that painting that we can put up uh, and give people a chance to see it. There is no one single Scottish identity. That's the stereotype. I think the stereotype is probably based more on the West Coast. Of course, Scotland is so diverse. I mean, Shetland and Orkney, you've got the... The Norn is the language, their words that they're still very much reflecting back on the Vikings and the Norse language. You know, you've Doric, Doric in the northeast. Absolutely. You know, there is no one Scottish national identity, but there are traits that run through us all. And I think you know, one of the traits, Scots may be initially perceived as being a little bit, we've said before, doer, reserved, quiet. You know, they're not open initially, but underneath it. There's a, a vein of humour, particularly coming out of the industrial areas. And that's what I miss when I go overseas. You know, the, the ability to laugh at themselves and at each other and your own yep. self. You know, they're winding each other up the whole time. Yes, very much so. Never take yourself too seriously. Oh, no. As you can tell from us taking the mickey out of each other, I'm surprised we've not had a bit of chat about Daughter of the Rock I yet. know, I'm just surprised about that too, that... You know, I get, I get the Mickey taken out in every other episode, except the episode where the Mickey can be taken out as part I of the Scottish you, identity. I suppose you've not got a Scottish identity, Helen. You've got a sterling identity. A sterling identity, that's it. Freedom for sterling. Freedom! Cut her through the middle. She'll be a bit of a bit like that, uh, that Edinburgh that's rock, right. except it'll say sterling, sterling right yes. through the middle. Daughter of the rock. <laughs> And of course, the other stereotype we have is our, our passion for alcohol. You know, we Scotland is eternally optimistic. I mean, this we're sitting here on the day after Scotland were successful oh, yes. in getting through to the European Championships by beating Serbia last night in football. In now, penalties. you have no idea what that means to the Scotland psyche. You know, that <laughs> we will be up there thinking we can win the World Cup. We will be forever optimistic. And our 
Bami Army, our yes. army of Scots supporters, will be travelling the world. They don't care whether Scotland loses or wins. They've got them to a European Championship. It's an opportunity to celebrate. My son was born in the 1979 and the big song at the moment was We're on the March with Ali's Army. And that was the time when we actually thought Scotland was doing well in football. Well, I hope this team can manage to follow it through. <laughs> on that 1979, I was at university and my now husband was standing outside a telephone box listening to this conversation that another student was having and he's going yeah we're going to Argentina mum <laughs> it's one sided conversation yeah we're talking about a submarine <laughs> we can hire a submarine <laughs> there's absolutely nothing that will put a Scot down eternal optimism oh, oh that's Indeed. me so to finish off on Scottish identity I'm going to give the words to a gentleman called John Knox who was around in the 16th century, but I think it pretty much is still alive for today. And he said, give me Scotland or I die. <laughs> Wonderful. It's true for us all. So I think we should move on to the words, the Scots words of the episode. Who would like to kick off, ladies? Well, I'll go for it. Uh, my word is Ken Speckled. Ken Speckled. Ken is to know, speckled to see. So Ken Speckled is conspicuous or well-known. So you might say that somebody has a Ken Speckled face, you know, he's a well-known face. But I think it can also be used for the flag, the saltire. It's conspicuous, being flown from all the buildings across Scotland and being waved at any national celebration. Ken Speckled. Excellent. Helen, what about you? Well, I'm going to say it's actually two. They're more like phrases, but really ties in with what we're talking about is that we don't allow ourselves to get above our station. Where we describe as, oh, you're fair fool yourself, or you've got a good conceit of yourself. You're talking above your station. You're blowing your own trumpet too much. Oh, very good. Well, that moves quite well into my one. Uh, which is gallus. <laughs> and this is especially a Glasgow kind of word. And if someone says you're gallus, you're, you're bold, you're cheeky, you're maybe a wee bit flashy and a bit like Helen, you're maybe a bit fool yourself. Oh, that was right, gallus. Yes. Uh, or that person was fair gallus. Any last words on the subject, Liz, Helen? So when it comes to St Andrew's Day, 30th of November, and you've been listening to this episode, raise a little glass. And toast good old St Andrews and the good old Scots and their culture. Well said. Cult. Well Yay! Slange. <laughs> Slange. Slange. There we have it, our blether for this week. If you'd like to engage with us on social media, everybody out there, um, we're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook as Scottish Blethers. We'd love to hear what you think of the episode and any topics that you might like us to cover in, the f- in future blethers. So please do get in touch. So it's cheery bye from me. Tata the new from me. And if I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the windy from me. Bye. See ya. Bye. <laughs>